All right, I'm gonna get a quick sip of water. We're gonna jump into it. So, we're gonna do a review of message last week. You guys with me this morning? Yes, sir. All right, everybody got an extra hour, extra hour of sleep. We should be just vibrating with excitement. We should be just so ready to go. So last week's message was called Shutting Up the Naysayers. And what we were doing, we were in Joshua chapter 10, verses 15 through 20. And what we did was we actually picked back up uh, in the battle that was taking place between the Amorites and the Israelites. This is on the back side of the battle. And what we saw was at this point in time, God had brought miraculous light onto the world. He had taken a 24-hour day and actually doubled it so they had a longer expanse of, of light. Now, during this skirmish as it was taking place, it was in a place called Makedah. The city of Makedah is on the western coast of Canaan on the Mediterranean Sea. And as the conflict was winding down, the Israelites were taking advantage of this doubled day. The reason why they were doing is they were actually keeping themselves watchful for their enemies. The reason they asked for that extended time was so that they could make sure that no one escaped. And this, we talked about it last week, was the fact we correlated this to the watchfulness that you and I need to have in our spiritual battlefields. Because, listen, God has brought light into our lives. We are children of the light. We're children of God. And what we see is the fact that you and I need to be watchful for those enemies in our lives and the battlefields that we live every single day. Because how many of us realize we're in a spiritual battle? Absolutely. Every single day. We can look at the world around us and the darkness that consumes most of this world and we can see a spiritual battle raging, but it also rages within us. And there's this aspect of these things, these enemies that are trying to come against us, that are trying to affect our journey towards holiness. This is what God God desires for us. Now, whether that's be on the physical, an emotional, or on a spiritual level, there is an assault that we're dealing with. So allowing the light of God to wash over the field set before us, this reveals our adversaries. We recognize them for who they are. And the watchfulness that we see with these Israelites, they found, because of their watchfulness, they found those Amorite kings had hidden themselves in a cave, right? There was five of those kings. They're hiding in there. Now, upon hearing the news of this, Joshua says, take five great stones, or take rogue, rogue, we don't have any stones, roll great stones in front of the cave. So block them in and trap them in the darkness. And what we took note of is the fact that in doing so, What he was doing was isolating those kings, isolating them from their power and their influence. And at the same time, they were actually weakening the forces that they were leading. So we see this resolve that took place within the the soldiers as they all will be wiped out because their, their leaders are gone. And what we saw was the fact that God was subduing this wickedness. That's what he's, this is what is happening here. As he's hiding there, as they're hiding in the shadows, God has subdued them through these great stones that are placed in form in front of the, in front of the, the uh, in front of the cave. And so in, in fact, in, in robbing them of their influence and literally recognize you and I are supposed to be doing this to the sinful things in our life. Yeah. We're supposed to be robbing them of influence in our life. We're supposed to, the threat that our sinful nature has in our life. Some of us have days when you're, we're spiritually strong. I mean, you have those days where you just feel like you're, you're a conqueror. But those are the days where we feel like we're just not conquerors. We feel like we're constantly being defeated. We feel like we're fighting an uphill battle. And what God's seeing and showing us through Joshua's story is, listen, these things that we're fighting against, they must be isolated. They must be dealt with. And what we saw was the fact through that message, we saw that not only were the mouths of those that they were fighting against, not only were they shut, but we also saw that even the people that observed Right? So the Macadamians, we don't know what else to call them, but that's what we're calling them. <laughs> the Macadamian people were watching this thing. What we found was that they would not even open their mouths against anyone in the Israelite army. So they were silenced as well. And you know what's so interesting? When you and I allow 
uh, sin to be subdued in our life, when we have a live a conquered, a victorious Christian life, not only does it give God glory, most certainly it does, and not only does, that, does it do that, but it also encourages our brothers and sisters. When they see us having victory, man, they're encouraged by it. But you know what it does to the naysayers, to those that want to talk bad about God when they see victory in our life? It kind of shuts their mouths. They don't have much, much that they can say. And we see it today as we move forward into our study uh, that this victory over the Amorite armies, this is the start of Joshua and the Israelites having literally uh, a domination in Canaan. They are going to start to literally just be devastation after devastation of another enemy after another enemy after another enemy. And what we find is this, this shows them they have a victorious way of life. As they move forward, it literally being victorious is going to be something that they are accustomed to. And see, that's an example for you and I. See, God intends for us to live a victorious Christian life. He says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are supposed to be victorious. But many people live, live defeated lives. Now recognize the fact that, listen, it's not through our talent. It's not through our ability. It's not through our own personal strength. But it is full, it's through our full reliance on God's strength that we have victory. We have got to be careful of our flesh's influence. Influence. So as we look back here into our story, and as we pick back up, Joshua and the Israelites have learned to fully rely on God. The resulting victories that they will come through, uh, they, are a result, they are a result of the fact that not only have they had faith in God through all of these instances, but guess what? They've also been obedient to His Word. They've done what God told them, and they've followed His expectations for them. Joshua displaying the power of God over wickedness. He will see, we will see today that He will make certain. We have four points. Sorry, four points. Evil is exposed. We'll show that evil is identified. We'll see that evil is subdued. And we'll see, lastly, that God's people are encouraged as these five cowering kings are going to be brought out of the darkness and into the light in our message this morning, which is titled Stamping Out Evil. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. Uh, Lord, for the incredible examples that we are given in Scripture uh, to help us, Lord, to deal with the adversities that life will throw at us. Uh, again, we must always remind ourselves this life is not about us. It's about you and, Lord, how we can be conquerors, not for our namesake, but for yours. So, Lord, I pray today uh, for our church. I pray for our communities. I pray for our country. Uh, Lord, we need leaders to rise up. We need men and women of God that will stand on the truth of the Word of God. And, Lord, not apologize for truth, but, Lord, stand upon it and, Lord, proclaim it to this dark and hurting world. We're not judges of the world, but, Lord, we are emissaries. We are ambassadors. We are to be like triage surgeons running out on the battlefield to restore and help heal the broken. God, thank you for Hope Baptist Church. Thank you, Lord, for what it's meant in my own life, what it's meant to so many. Lord, as we'll have meetings and ask people, who came here because they need to be restored and see the whole room raise their hands. God, you're so good. You're so good. Lord, you know my heart's desire today is not to be heard. I don't want to make a name for myself. I want to disappear, Lord. I want you to be seen. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to remove the human element of this message. Father, that you would speak to our hearts, to my heart, that Lord, we would be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. It says, Then said Joshua, Open the mouth of the cave, and bring out those five kings unto me out of the cave. And they did so, and brought forth those five kings unto him out of the cave, and the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And it came to pass, when they brought out those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel, and said unto the captains of the men of war which went with him, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed, be strong and of a good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. 
And so with all the naysayers silenced and all the soldiers of the Amorite armies destroyed, it's now time for Joshua to deal with these Amorite kings. They're in that, in that macadamia cave, right? So what's going to happen now? They're going to say, he's saying, listen, bring them out of the darkness and bring them into God's miraculous, miraculous light. The light of God, remember, is still lighting the battlefield as we speak. This is the miraculous light that God has extended the day. We might call this God's marvelous light, as it's called in 1 Peter 2.9. Listen to what God references it here. He says, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, talking to us, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. So into a miraculous, marvelous light. God's telling us that through our salvation, the person that we used to be, the things that we used to do, the people that we used to identify with, they should have changed because of the Spirit of God that dwells within us. That Spirit of God that draws us out of darkness and into His light, into His love, into His fellowship. We can walk with the King of the universe. You see, that's God's intention for every single one of us. Now, that does not mean that this is what we all experience at all times in our life. Because listen, I can tell you this, if we're not deliberate in our walk with God, conscious and deliberate of every step that we take, if we're not living deliberately every day, living in submission to God's will and allowing His Spirit to lead us, then our flesh can climb itself right onto the throne of our hearts and lead us down very dark paths of carnal fulfillment. We've all been there. We've all fallen prey to our flesh. And the subtlety with which it takes place is miraculous. It's incredible. And it's hard to spot many times. But if we're very deliberate with our days and we're deliberate with the way we walk, man, God, God can show us something. But so what we saw last week was God showed us a way that we can address it, that we can literally cut off the influence of that wicked wickedness in our life. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, casting down imaginations. My wife and I were talking about this. She did a word search on imagination. She said, you know what's amazing? It's always linked to evil. Imagination's always evil in Scripture. So I said, listen, all these evil thoughts, these things that you're imagining, and every high thing, now these high things, these are things that think that they, this is the wisdom of humanity that says, you know what, I know better than God. Every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, I know better than He does. No, we don't. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience. Notice this, obedience of Christ. And so these kings, listen, they have been taken captive. And now Joshua's going to take it to the next level. We're going to see now as he examined, as we examine how he's going to deal with these Amorite kings, it's important <laughs> to consider that what we can learn from what it is we're going to see about dealing with the sinful forces working to influence our lives. These things are trying to draw us away from God, what we watch on TV, the people maybe that we sit next to at work, the book that we might be reading, the music that we might listen to. If we're not careful and if they're not godly, what they're going to do, listen, there's a principle that's this, those that are not seeking God will not draw you closer to God. That's right. You might not think that's the case, but I can promise you they, it will influence you. And the first thing we'll see that Joshua's going to do is the very same thing that Christ does in us when he brings us to salvation. And it's this, exposes Evil. We're going to see here, verse number 22 shows us that evil is exposed. He says, Then said Joshua, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings unto me out of the cave. So Joshua has those great stones rolled out of the way from the mouth of the cave, and the wicked kings are brought out of their dark hiding places and into the glorious light of God. Now, talk about being exposed. 
Consider this, right? So imagine you're uh, the, the blinding power of God. Who's ever like, come from really, really, really dark place and stepped out into sunlight? It is overwhelming. Whoa, it almost like burns your eyes. It's an overwhelming physical experience. But I want you to consider this from an emotional experience for these men. Okay? They have been in the darkness, and now they're coming out into the light. So even though they were trapped, even though they were trapped in the darkness, what you find is the fact that at least at that point they weren't vulnerable. Right? They were somewhat safe, but now coming out into the light, what you know what's going to happen? They're going to see themselves, whoa, it's going to be a very vulnerable, vulnerable situation. And what we see here is wickedness. It's very comfortable in darkness. This is a principle that we find in Scripture. We saw last week when the Lord was speaking to us, Jesus was talking about wickedness. He was talking about evil, and he said this in John 3, verses 19 through 20. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You know what reproved means? Exposed. Exposed. No one wants their sin exposed. Why do you think people that are caught up in sin, why do you think they do not want to be in situations that are going to expose that sin? What will they do? They will naturally look for ways and places where they can hide their sin. Because listen, if other people are involved in the sin and you go hang out with them, guess what? You don't feel so bad. But if you're around a whole lot of people that are seeking to be holy, oh my goodness, that's an uncomfortable spot. So sitting in a service like this is a very hard place to be. So what you'll find is people will pull away from God and God's people. Because what happens as the truth is revealed, as the truth is preached, a lie becomes exposed in the heart of a person. If there's something we're trying to tell ourselves is true and the Word of God defies it, we go, you know what? That's a, that's a lie. I'm lying to myself. I'm, I'm not even, and understand, exposing the truth or exposing holiness. Man, exposing holiness and, and projecting and teaching holiness, the Scripture. Guess what it does? It makes unholiness stand out in our hearts and our lives. And it makes us see it for what it is. And you realize what's so cool about the way God works is God's always teaching, right? He teaches through the Word of God, but He teaches through creation as well. And there's this really neat thing. Because what's interesting about light, right? Sunlight. Sunlight is, is absolutely imperative for life. Life on this earth would not exist without light. So we have that where it creates life. And then the other thing is that it illuminates the life or illuminates life or the world. But what's interesting is light also does something very interesting. It cleanses. Do you realize that viruses, things that are, that are dangerous, bacterias, things like COVID, guess what sunlight does? It kills them. Things that just happen to thrive in the darkness. See, when they're strong and they're hidden within the depths of our bodies, hello, question mark, see that? Hidden in the depths and the dark parts of our body, bacteria and viruses, they can thrive. Oh, but introduce light. Introduce light, and what happens? They are destroyed because they're exposed to light. And so there's a fear with sin sometimes when something's going to be exposed. There again, there's that, that aspect of vulnerability feeling as if, whoa, you know what, this is, this is a scary thing. And see, one of the things that is, since there's a vulnerability there, when someone's coming, you've got a Christian brother or sister, and they're struggling with sin, and they don't want to say anything, because guess what they're worried about being? Judged. Why does God again and again and again, it says, judge not, judge not, judge not, judge not, judge not. The world, if, you have, if the world knows no other verse than this, judge not, lest ye be judged. I don't judge me in my sin. 
That's not what the Bible's talking about. What it's actually talking about is the fact that be careful not to judge the person. Listen to this in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, addressing that very issue. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, brethren, listen, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, if you walk with God, if you're seeking the Lord, listen, you that are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness. You know what meekness means? Meekness is strength under control. Strength is a sword that's in, is a sword that's in its sheath. It has the power to do damage, but you choose not to take it out. You have the right. You could say, listen, you know what? My brother's in sin. You know what? I, I could point out all the things that he's doing wrong. I could tell him why he's failed and why he's faulted and why he's, why he's sinful. I could tell him all those things. And you'd have the power to do it in that moment because guess what? They're broken and they're fallen. But God said, hey, 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 don't fall into that trap because notice what he says next. Consider thyself lest thou also be tempted. Don't you fall into judging your brother. Because listen, verse number two, bear ye one of those burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What did Christ do? He bore our burden in himself. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be Christ-like. Recognize Christian was not a title that is claimed. It is a title that is earned. We live in a country. We live in a time. And the Laodicean church age on this planet right now, where Christianity is a title that many will claim, they'll get the tattoo, they'll get the t-shirt, they'll get the bumper sticker, and they'll claim Christianity, but their life does not reflect it. In the eyes of this world, they are not Christians by the fact that their life reflects it. They're in it just because they call themselves that. And because we're just calling ourselves Christians, there's hypocrisy everywhere because people don't see a difference. See, in Antioch, they were called Christians because he looked like Christ. And you and I don't claim Christian. We need to earn, earn Christian. You shouldn't say a word about your faith, but when an opportunity comes up for people to see your life, they should be able to pick you out of the crowd and go, you know what? You're a Christian, aren't you? I could just tell there was something about you. Not because you wore the t-shirt, because the life is exposed to it. God's warning us not to fall into spirit of judgment when considering our brother's sin. Our focus must not be on their failure, but on their restoration. That's why we're here. We're not here to condemn anybody. We're here to restore them. Now, does that mean that we condone their sin? Absolutely not. Not in any way, shape, or form. Now, can I judge sin? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. If you don't judge sin, the Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. How in the world are you going to judge? If you just go bland, blindly picking fruits, like, how can you determine what's an apple and what's a pear? I've got to judge which one's which. right? So I'm certainly going to judge their actions. I'm going to judge their choices, but I'm not going to judge the value of the person or their, willing, or their ability or their worthiness to be restored. That's not my place. Our job is to come alongside the broken, the healing, or the broken and the hurting and do all that we can to reach out to them in love to restore them. That's the reason why we're here. And if it's about judgment, listen, we're going to drive people away from God and we're going to be hypocrites because that's what the world does. That's what most churches are doing. You walk in the door and you're broken. Guess what? You don't feel comfortable. You feel as if you're in sin and you're going to go, oh gosh, you know what? They're going to judge me. They're going to see me for... Listen, no one here is perfect, just so you know. We might have our garb on and we all look all nice and get our makeup looking good, but I can promise you we're all a bunch of broken, messed up folks. We're all hurting at different levels, right? If I could reveal everyone's heart and hear everybody's story, we'd all be like, oh my goodness gracious. But we got our face on. So hey, so I just want to tell you, listen, we're not here to judge anybody. We're none of us. None of us are worthy. Every one of us needed Christ. And bottom line is he sees us for our brokenness and loves us in spite of it. Because what's God's heart for humanity? What's God's heart for people? 
1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 4, I only include verse 3 to make sure you know who this is talking about. It says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That is the heart of God. Not wanting to judge, but wanting to restore. The age of grace right now that we're in is all about restoring the broken. And you and I are instruments of restoration. That's why we're here. If we lose sight of why we're here, we will waste the time that we're given. If it was just about you knowing God and walking with God, God would kill you and take you home and you'd know Him so intimately then. But He left you here so that your life could make a difference in the life of someone else. Our testimony is supposed to speak volumes of His holiness. It's not about leaving a reputation for ourselves or people respecting us. It's about God receiving respect. Like He said in that song, right? That He said they will only see Jesus, right. right? To be a Christian, that means people see Christ in us. God's heart is always one of restoration. So when He brings sinfulness out of the darkness and into the light, it's not for the sake of condemning. It is always for the purpose of redeeming and healing and restoring. So as we're talking about sin today, if you're one that's struggling, listen, that's the heart of God. To redeem, to heal, and to restore. But you see, the start of the, res- of the process of restoration begins with exposing sin. Yeah. And that's exactly what Joshua's modeling for us here as he brings these wicked kings out of the cave, out of the darkness, and into the marvelous light of God. Then next we'll see that he'll identify them. He says, evil is identified, verse number 23. And they did so and brought forth those five kings unto him out of the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. What's interesting is you'll find that these five kings have not been named for a very long time. As we saw them, when they first came against Gibeon and they came to make war and they were strong and powerful and they were a threat, guess what? They were named. But once they were on the run, what you find is he just calls them the five kings. The five kings, the five kings, the five kings. But now we're going to see that they're going to be identified. Why? Because God's going to deal with them. He's going to deal with them individually. And we'll also find that, listen, he is recognizing them and showing who they are because, listen, they're going to be dealt with once and for all. For you see, in order to properly confront our enemy, guess what? We have to identify them. Well, I know i got some sins in my life, but you know what? Yeah, God understands. And we just try to whitewash it or push it away or hide it in the dark recesses and corners. And God say, no, 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 I need you to not only expose it, but I need you to identify Because how can you deal with your enemy if you don't know who your enemy is? That's our spiritual Bible study. As we're walking through spiritual warfare, what we're doing is we're identifying the enemy so that we know how to fight him. And can I promise you that many of the times that the enemy will attack us and it's going to be through fleshly lusts and desires that we have become okay with in our lives. And God's saying, "Uh -uh. I need you to show you what it is. It's wicked. And you know what you need to do? You need to name it. You need to identify it as evil. In order for you and I to confront sin in our lives, we must identify it. Last week we discussed some of the sinful fleshly desires and what can sit on the thrones of our heart, and I labeled them with five names. Lust, greed, hatred, selfishness, and jealousy. Okay, so now look, no Christian wants these to be a part of our Christian walk, right? But that does not mean that they're not hiding in the testimonies of our lives. That does not mean that in the dark recesses and corners of our hearts, there aren't some of these things, lust, greed, hatred, jealousy, and selfishness. But if we want to be right with God, and we want to be used by God to do something great, we must not only expose them, but listen, we must face them. We must identify them. Now, this can either be a humiliating experience, but it can also be a liberating 
experience. It's all about the perspective, right? It's all about perspective. For someone who's prideful and focused on how they appear in the eyes of men, humiliation. Oh my goodness. I've got to be so concerned about what people think of me. This could be the worst day of my life if it gets out of what I've been doing or what it is that's going on inside of me. But for the person who's submitted to God, for the person who says, you know what, I don't care what anybody thinks, I care what God thinks. And you know what, I'm going to be true, I'm going to be real, and you know what, as opposed to being humiliated by this truth, I'm going to be set free from something that's having bondage, I've been in bondage to for years, and you know what, I want to be broken free so that God can use this life. So listen, it's associated, listen, so there's one which is called the sorrow of the world, and there's one that's called godly sorrow. Now, they can feel very similar, but they are diametrically opposed. You like that word? Pretty pronounced. <laughs> I'm trying to throw that in there. One is associated with redemption and restoration and liberation, and the other is identified or, re- or related to, to humiliation. As Paul identified sin in the Corinthian church, what we find is the fact that as he's addressing it, he points out and tells us, he explains to us what these two things are and helps us to understand them. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 through 11. Now rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. Repentance means to turn, okay? You sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Listen, you've been set free from the, from the, from the sin because you've addressed it biblically. You've addressed it with God. Listen, recognition. So when he says it's recognizing repentance, recognition is identification. Through their recognition, through their identification of their sin and their repentance of it, God is naturally drawing them closer to him, because if you turn from the world, then you're going to turn to turn to God. Verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. Okay? It's going to make a change in us to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So where godly sorrow will draw us closer to God, what you'll find is that the sorrow of the world draws you away from God. Very, very different. Verse 11. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sword. What carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, in all things ye have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. And so if, the, if we're courageous enough to identify sin in our lives, we're, we're willing to identify it, to recognize it and see it, what it will do is invoke something in us. There will be a response in us. Now, if we want to recognize which one we're experiencing, all we have to do is this. Godly sorrow versus sorrow of the world. Which one are we feeling? All we have to do is assess. Pay attention to how it manifests in our lives. Does our remorse over our sin draw us to prayer? Does it draw us to God's word? Does it bring us to a place of repentance? Does it draw us to church? Does it make us honest and straightforward? Or... Does it pull us away from the things of God and separate us from his people? See, that second one is guilt. Guilt, it comes, guess what? It derives from the flesh. It's about what people think. But see, godly sorrow is what God thinks. Very different. One comes from the spirit, and the other one's manifested in the flesh. If we just take the time to pay attention to the way we respond in that moment, we can see what it is. Our flesh knows how to mimic the things of God, but it can't do it properly. Because I can promise you that when you're experiencing guilt, coming to church, you're not going to want to come. 
that Bible's going to sit on the desk and just going to be like, the idea of praying, for whatever reason, I just don't feel like I can pray right now. I just really can't, for whatever reason. You'll know what you're experiencing. It is not godly sorrow. You are in the midst of guilt. Guilt. Joshua's revealed to us that we must be, we must be willing to bring these things out of hiding, that we must identify them, and next we'll see that he must, we must make sure that evil is subdued. Verse 24. And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war, which went with him, come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. And we hear that and go, wow, why in the world do you have them put them on their necks? It's weird. So these once powerful kings who represented a real significant threat to Israel have been made powerless through the mighty hand of God. Recognize, remember, if we go back and think, they were driven out of their strongholds back in Joshua chapter number 10, verse chapter, chapter 10, 10. They were driven. They were discomfited, he said. Then they were on the run, running for their lives with their men. As God rained down destruction from heaven, these boulders fell down in the midst of a day that God had extended so they could not escape. All the time, the entire time, fighting for their lives, only to wind up literally hiding in a cave, isolated and cut off, literally cowering in the darkness. And so now they're dragged out into God's miraculous night. Not only, listen, not only would they see their conquerors as they would see Joshua and their men standing there in front of them, but as their their eyes adjusted to the light around them, they would see their forces massacred all around them. They are five, and five alone. You see, the strength they once possessed is gone. Their confident, rebellious attitude towards God is gone. And it's all because God's people simply did what God told them to do. They did it His way. They did it in His timing, trusting His word and faithfully doing what He commanded them to do. Now keep in mind, what I want you to understand is like what we're listening to, what we're seeing happen in these Israelites' eyes or in Israelites' lives is designed to teach us. I tell you guys all the time, listen, the Old Testament is a picture book. It's a picture book. If you teach a child to read, you show them a picture of a ball, and you show them the word ball. You wouldn't just give them the word. You would give them the image and the ball to make sure they understand. And because God is the ultimate teacher, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this book, and I'm going to break it up into two parts. There's going to be one part that's going to be all these unbelievable, massive, incredible things that you're going to be able to see that I'm going to work in history. And they're going to be visuals for you. And I'm going to teach principles that are going to directly coordinate back to those things I was teaching you. Let me show you where that comes from, and I can prove this to you. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6. Moreover, brethren, speaking to the church, I would not that you should be ignorant, okay? God says, listen, I don't want you to miss out on something I need you to see. How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So he's talking about the Exodus. And did all eat with the spiritual meat. Notice this, spiritual. He keeps referencing spiritual. He's saying, I'm talking about a physical thing that took place that's your history, but I want you to realize while I'm talking to you about the physical, I'm actually talking to you about the spiritual. Listen, 
and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and all did and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock, notice capitalized rock, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. He says, listen, let me identify in your history, this history that you know so well, that rock was Christ. Amen. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. He says, many of them, he was not well pleased. You know, that's 360, what, 300, uh, 300, oh man, it's stepping out of my mind. 500, 300, ah, it's a bunch of people. <laughs> I can't, I know that number, I really do. <laughs> I think it's 306,548, that's what it is. 306,548, the ones he was not well pleased with. And the fact is, only two of them survived. That's just Joshua and Caleb. So we listen to this and listen, but here's the part I want you to hear. Verse 6. Now these things were our examples. Listen. To the intent. What was the purpose? Why am I sharing this with you? Why are those stories there? Why has God recorded them throughout time? To the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. They are our example. This is a warning to us. Listen to verse 11. Now all these things happened. Listen. All these things happened unto them for in samples, which is another way of saying examples. And they are written for our admonition. Admonition means warning. These stories that I'm telling you, these stories of our history, these stories of these failures, these stories of the successes, listen, these are warnings to you. Make sure that you learn from their experience upon whom the ends of the world are come. And the reason I share this with you, I don't want you to think that every week I'm trying to rest the Scripture. I'm trying to take this and wrestle us into Christ, into the story of Joshua, because I'm not. God gives us these stories and gives us insight through the Word of God so we can take what the Bible says and apply it to our lives. Not for our sakes, because what was their job? Their job was to glorify God, and it's the same responsibility He's given us. We're supposed to reach this world through our lives. And this is supposed to teach us how we should live. And so as we consider how Joshua's dealing with these kings who had possessed such incredible worldly power, and we now see them literally fall down before God's people. Powerless. Amazing. And you consider this to ourselves. How are we dealing with those sinful fleshly desires in our lives that can have so much worldly power? Listen. Have we allowed them, have we allowed God to strip them of their influence in our lives through our obedience and subjection to His will and His word? Are we allowing them to languish in the shadows because we're too afraid to deal with them? We must be willing to face. Notice what Joshua does next to these kings. So he's exposed them, he's identified them, and now he's going to subdue them. Verse 24 says this, And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua and called, and Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war which went with him, Come near. Put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. Now, can you think of a more powerless position to be in? I mean, absolute powerlessness. That's what's being represented here. And it's interesting that God chooses the neck. Because do you realize that the neck is the representation of the will of man? When we go back into the book of Exodus, when you look through the Bible... Nine different times. You know what God calls people? Stiff-necked. You will not bow your will to me. You sit on a horse and you pull the reins and it pulls the other way? Stiff-necked. I used to have a horse named Poco. Man, crazy. 
Every time you get on him, he would stand up on his back legs and walk backwards, try to run you into a tree, anything you possibly do. And anytime he pulled this way, he'd go, and he'd make these noises and pull as hard as he could. Crazy. Because you know what? He had a will. He knew what he wanted to do. And so we have stiff-necked, unwilling to bend. But look at these guys. We could call them squish-necked. Because <laughs> guess what? Their will is being taken from them. They no longer have any control. They're literally being stood upon through the Israelite submission to the Lord Himself. And so it's in this moment of being exposed in and by the light of God that the threat that these, previous, that these previously mighty kings had once represented to these people has been reduced to nothing. Consider this for us. When you and I expose our selfish carnal desires to the light of God, through His Word, through His Spirit, through a life of holiness and righteousness, listen, <laughs> you know what happens? These things that used to have so much power over us, they used to hold us down and keep us in subjection. They can be made powerless. How amazing. It's all about the will. And then lastly, after exposing, identifying, and subduing evil, we'll see that Joshua makes certain that God's people are encouraged. Verse 25. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of a good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. Joshua reiterates the promise of God to his men. He reminds them, listen, listen, this is all about, it's about God's strength. It's not, the answer's not in their own strength. It's not in their own ability. It's their willingness to trust and lean on God. Their victories have come by way of God. Notice how he words this in verse 25. And thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. You guys are in the fight, but guess what? The Lord's the one that's going to bring the victory. He's the one that's going to bring everything it's going to be. When you have success, it's going to be through Him. And it's through this graphic image of these kings under the feet of these captains that Joshua's giving his men an example to say, listen, this is what's to come. This is our future. Look at these men. Remember we would cower before. We were frightened of these guys. We were worried about them. Look where they are now. Look at them. Look at the fear in their eyes. They're no longer a threat to us. They're nothing more than a stepping stone to our, for our, our victories to come. And listen, that's what God wants us to see in our life as we move forward. That listen, we need not to be conquered because we have a God who's a conqueror. Amen. See, what God's trying to teach us through the book of Joshua, through these Old Testament pictures, He's displaying for us that through the reminder that Joshua speaks to His men today, you and I should be encouraged for the battles ahead. Because I can promise you, they are, they're coming. And you see, every victory Israelites have experienced has been attributed to God. And every defeat they have faced has been attributed to their fallen nature, trusting in their flesh. This is true for them, and it's equally true for us as well. And this, through this reminder, Joshua is centering his men on this truth. And listen, it will be through our dependence upon God that we will be victorious. That's what he's telling them. Listen, it's him that's going to do this. It's not us. And can I tell you, listen, that you and I, it's exactly the same thing is true for us today as we will see in the days to come. Joshua and his men, listen, they're going to not lose sight of this crucial truth. They don't forget what they've learned so far. And because of that, the wicked strongholds that they will face 
many of them that have stood for generations, they will come crashing down. They will fall one after another after another. What about the wicked strongholds in our lives? Perhaps that are generational. Maybe our grandparent or our parent. Who knows what it is? Wickedness, bitterness, alcohol, pornography, whatever it is. There are strongholds in people's lives that have been carried on for generation after generation after generation. And what we find about God is He can break strongholds. He can break through. The question is this, will they fall in the days ahead through the power of God? Or will they be ignored? So they'll be a continual threat to us. Remember, God uses the physical world to teach us about spiritual things. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not physical, but mighty through God to the pulling down, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our victories will be through God and God alone. That's something we have to be resigned to every day. Because you know what? If you think any other way, you are literally just setting yourself up to be defeated. Our faith in God, our trust in God, our following of His will and His ways is the way to, defe- is the way to victory. Joshua knows this. He's reminding his men of this truth because he knows where they're getting ready to go. The southern campaign is getting ready to just push They're going to face enemy after enemy after enemy. He says, look, you need to be mindful of this truth. Remember this image that I'm showing you right here with these men's necks and you're standing on them. And this warning or this this reminder needs to echo in our ears as we face the days ahead. Because yes, we are going to face days ahead that are going to have all kinds of opposition, all kinds of struggles. Because I can promise you, there are battles on the horizon for our families, for our, for our communities, for our marriages, for our country, and more important than all of that, for the souls of men. We are here to reach the world. We were given a great commission. Go, reach, baptize, teach. That's why we're here. We can't lose sight in the political nature of our world today. You can get so consumed with what's going on in politics, but guess what? We're not here as political advocates for anybody. We are here as representatives of Christ. Jesus did not come to overthrow the government in Rome. No, he just simply said, you know what? I'm going to work through the government that exists, and it's wicked and it's awful, but I'm going to reach people through it anyway. And listen, that's our job. Don't get distracted by the world around you. Go do your civil duty. Go go, go vote. But listen, don't let that be consuming in your heart and mind because it will draw you away from the truth of what you're here, which is to reach the world. And you can stand in line and argue with somebody about a political view. You will never reach their soul doing that. And even if you convince them, you're not going to win them. Love. Love builds bridges. Anger builds walls. Love the world. Love the world. We will, will we allow wickedness to exist in our lives? Or will we confront it with the power of God. 
and start every day. Because can I promise you, every day the battle starts fresh and new? Will we start every day stamping out evil? The will of your flesh wants to stand against you every day. Through the power of God, you can stamp it and stop it and live a surrendered life for Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for what you've shown us uh, through the incredible examples in the book of Joshua, Lord. It just keeps coming to life and coming to life and coming to life. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the truths that crisscross from the New Testament and Old Testament, showing us what it is you're trying to teach us. Help us, Lord, to apply these things in our lives and our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of who we are in Christ. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today, and you say, listen, I'm dealing with some stuff. And I'm I'm not going to point anybody out or call anybody out at all. I'm the only one looking around. But I need to know if I need to be praying for you. If you're in the midst of a spiritual battle right now, there's something going on in your life and you are battling against it and you want God to give you the victory. If that's you today, just lift your hand and say, listen, pastor, pray for me. Amen, 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 and amen. And God, I pray that you do a miracle in each of these lives. But if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't even know where I stand with God. Listen, 21 years ago, I was lost and undone. I'd never been in church my entire life. If you'd asked me if I was going to heaven, I would have said, I hope so. But I had no clue. I thought it was about being a good person. I watched cartoons, and on the cartoons, guess what? The bad guys got horns, and the good guys got wings. And I thought, if I'm a good enough person, maybe I got a shot. But thank the Lord, someone had the care to share with me the truth, to show me and expose my sin, to tell me that not only was that sin in my life something that was going to be destructive to me, but guess what? It was going to take me to hell. As the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God. Jesus loved us in our sin. The Bible says, and while we we were yet sinners, while we were in our sin, Christ loved us. He died for us. And he gave us a way out of our death sentence that we've earned because of sin. If you're here today and you say, listen, I've never received Christ. I don't know him personally. I know about him. Maybe I believe in him. But let me tell you this, the devil believes in God. He ain't going to heaven. The Bible says that the devils tremble in the presence of God. They're not going to heaven. This is just a matter of giving your heart to him, submitting to God's love, because he loves you right where you are in the midst of your sin, and he wants to restore you right now. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. This is quiet. This is silent. It's going to be in your heart and mind. You don't need to speak out loud. This is between you and God. If he's calling you, all you have to do is respond. So in your heart and mind, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me. There's no magic prayer. There's no ceremony. This is your heart speaking to him. Just going to use my words to communicate with him. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I am so sorry for my sin. I understand that you love me. I can't believe it, but I believe it's true. I understand also that you died on the cross for my sins. I'm asking you right now to come into my heart, to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. Lord, amazingly, I know you saved me and I'm trusting you to change my life as I go forward. Help me to live a life that will glorify you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still.